0: March 8, 2014, a Boeing 777 carrying 239 souls vanishes without a trace over the Indian Ocean. The largest search in aviation history fails to find any meaningful evidence. What happened to this ill-fated flight? Did the captain commit suicide by airplane? Was it a terrorist attack? Aliens? Let's find out in this week's episode... The Mysterious Disappearance of Malaysia Airlines Flight 370.
1: It's the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent
0: ETA, Agent Locke, Agent Orange, and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFOs, conspiracies, and all things strange. Follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. Our email is AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. Send us your stories, comments, and questions. We would love to hear from you. All right. First order of business, we'd like to introduce our new agent, Agent Orange. Welcome to the show, Agent Orange. Welcome. Hey, what's up? All right. So now, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's your introduction. Sweet. Okay. Yeah, that's what you, that's what you get. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. First, it's time for Strange Events, Bizarre Facts. The unbelievable revealed. This is the mind boggle of the week. Okay. So I was listening to a podcast earlier today, but a bill Monday morning podcast with Bill Burr. And, um, at the end of the show there, he had, uh, people writing him letters and stuff. And the mind boggle this week is so people are sending him relationship questions, wrap your head around this. People are asking Bill Burr for relationship advice. And, uh, I, at this moment, when I started to to sink into me, what was happening here, I started to understand this crazy world we live in just a little bit better. (laughs) Okay. And that's, that's the mind boggle this week, I guess. Also another order of business this week is we are recording on the 4th of July, you know, Hey, Ray, America. So you may hear some uh, loud noises in the background. Don't worry. It's not the apocalypse. We're not being shot down. It's not a Western gunfight. It's just the 4th of July. Okay. And now let's get on to the episode topic show, MH370. So the basic timeline. On March 8, 2014, Flight 370 was flying from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing. It was a Boeing 777, and it made the last contact with air traffic control at about 1.19 in the morning at local time over the South China Sea. This was about an hour after takeoff. And then shortly after that, a few minutes later at 1.22 in the morning, it disappeared from radar. It was, or from the, from the flight tower or from the airport radar. Uh, They were still tracked on military radar. However, Uh, the flight path of the airplane deviated from where it was supposed to be going and it crossed over the Malay Peninsula. It left military radar at about 2.22 in the morning over the Andaman Sea. The flight path looked a little unusual. It's kind of like it might be uncontrolled or erratic. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, about what that could mean. But I won't, I won't go too much over that right now. Following its disappearance, there was the largest multinational search ever in the history of aviation. It was by far the most extensive and expensive. At some point, they just gave up and ran out of money. Uh, but they searched the Gulf of Thailand, the South China Sea, the Strait of Malacca, the Andaman Sea, and the the South Indian Ocean. The plane communicated through the Emersat satellite network, and that's like a network that the plane uses to kind of transmit uh, um, maintenance or technical data to Boeing so that if something's going wrong on the plane or maybe, you know, people are getting too many hemorrhoids from sitting on their hard-ass seats or whatever, it'll transmit that data to Boeing and they can take care of whatever the problem is. So it transmitted to that satellite network is is the last thing that they got. And they were able to analyze some of these transmissions to find out where the plane was more most likely to have ended up. And they think that it went into the South Indian Ocean and it was in the air until at least 819 in the morning. And they think that it kind of just flew until it ran out of fuel. But based on this data, they were not able to determine its exact location or where it landed um it's possible that its flight path turned south after going past sumatra and uh it just kind of crashed somewhere who knows in the middle of the ocean um and where they think it crashed was pretty far from any possible landing sites so based on its flight path it seems unlikely that it would have landed somewhere maybe if they had somehow gotten back control of the airplane or fixed whatever was going wrong but, uh, maybe not. We'll talk about that a little bit later. We have, uh, one of our agents is uh hot on, hot on the case for that one. All right. So the, the search effort, uh, from went, uh, from October, 2014 to January, 2017. So they were searching for this thing for a really long time and they searched about 120,000 square kilometers, which is about 40,000 square feet of, uh, of the ocean and the seafloor. Um, and they also about 1,800 uh, kilometers or 1,100 miles southwest of Perth, that's in Western Australia, and they weren't able to really find anything. Finally, in about in 2015, on July 29th, they found a couple pieces of the airplane washed up on the coast of Africa. Um, that's the first pieces, and the, a couple other pieces washed up in some other places. Um, maybe we'll touch on that later. I'm not sure if anybody is hot on that particular case, but we might, might bring it up again
1: later about those
0: pieces because it's pretty important. Yeah. Yeah. Malaysia did an official investigation on this and they released the report in October, 2017. A couple of highlights from the report was that the plane didn't send any distress signals of any kind. There was no indication of bad weather. It didn't appear that the plane suffered from any technical or mechanical problems before it disappeared. Um, Two passengers were on the plane with stolen passports But after investigation, they were ruled out as suspects for any shenanigans because they appeared to be asylum seekers from Iran, but hey, they were from Iran. So you never know who knows, but they don't appear to have been the people to cause this. If anybody did, if anybody did cause this, if it was due to human intervention of some kind, the most likely suspect is the captain of the airplane. Um, But again, that's pretty inconclusive, but they, they named his, him as the prime suspect, If anybody did anything, um, let's see, this was the second deadliest incident involving a triple seven and Malaysia airlines as well. So for both, both of those are Malaysia airlines holds that record. Uh, the first one was actually flight 17, also Malaysia airlines with 298 dead people on it. And that one was shot down, unfortunately, uh, two tragic, two tragic losses that happened, in a very close proximity to each other that actually caused Malaysia Airlines to go out of business. Um it was renationalized at the end of 2014 uh, and uh yeah so they basically went belly up from that. Due to this crash of or the disappearance of flight 370, new aviation standards were enacted such as better ways to report position over the ocean, longer recording time for the cockpit recorders and better ways of getting flight data out of the airplane you know, maybe wirelessly or something, recording it to satellites or something so that if they can't find the physical recorder. So this was a pretty big deal back in the time. And that's, that's the very, very basic bare bones narrative. Um, each piece of that you could go on and on forever, but I, I don't really think it's necessary at this point. We'll get into that a little bit, uh, further when we start talking about our conspiracies. Um, but a cup just to touch on a couple of possible problems, um, there is some evidence that the aircraft may have had some sort of electrical system failure, but it all, it appears that the electrical system or the transponder was turned off manually, so that suggests human interaction. That's kind of weird. Um, another possibility is that the cabin lost pressure and everybody passed out, which could explain the erratic flight path and the and how they kind of just flew into the middle of the ocean where they would have probably ran out of fuel. Um, There's, of course, I mentioned already the captain. Uh, There's a little bit of weird stuff on his flight simulator. And there is some people have suggested that his marriage was falling apart. So maybe he committed suicide, but there's not a whole lot of evidence for that. And lastly, uh, the cargo hold did have lithium batteries. And also it possibly had some cargo that was mislabeled. And people think it might have been some sort of top secret cargo. But either one is highly dubious unless we have the physical evidence of the airplane to prove that that's actually what happened. All right, so that's pretty much all I have. Who wants to go first with their theory? Uh, how about you, um, Agent ETA? You want start to off, start off? Start us off here?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, um, you, you know, like like you were talking about before, that there's so many different small, minute details you can go into with this case. I mean, it's literally almost never-ending. Um, I've heard so many different things. J- just for example, uh, the, the plane was 11 years old when this uh, event happened. And and as far as Malaysian uh, Airlines was concerned, like uh, the the documentation that they presented, the, the plane had never had any history of failures or problems. It had, uh, you know, pretty much as clean of a, a record as you could have. Now, the plane was 11 years old. So was that a case of the plane just being well built and holding up that amount of time? Or did they maintain the plane well enough, you know what I mean, and that's why it had no record of accidents or failures.
0: That's uh, eleven years is a pretty young for an airplane. They generally will run them much much longer than that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean that makes sense to me. Then, if uh, you know, technical failures uh, may may or may not have something to do with it, as far as something just just randomly failing on the on the uh, airplane. But okay, so the theory that I like to entertain sometimes, um, so uh, the one that I picked is. Uh, the theory that the U.S. military actually shot down the plane. So if you look at um, the trajectory that is the most widely accepted trajectory of the plane, where it heads south into the Indian Ocean, it's heading somewhat towards um, the atoll of Diego Garcia, which is an island group um, with a military base on it, with a a United States military base on it. So one of the uh, ideas, one of the theories is that the plane was actually hijacked, and before the plane had even taken off, it had been um, basically rigged to like recreate a flight pattern to fake a flight pattern. So uh, instead of um, you know initially going going north and heading on its uh, original flight pattern, the plane you know headed headed uh, headed north for sure um, for a little bit, but then you know headed headed a. Uh, At least east and then southeast and then south eventually towards uh, the middle of the Indian Ocean which is where that use uh, that United States base is it's it's, if you look at it on a map it's pretty much like almost smack dab right in the middle of the Indian Ocean so I mean um, if the plane did follow its its accepted flight path then it should not have been able to reach those islands I think that's pretty well established but if the flight, uh, the flight plan was, uh, you know, someone was able to fake it somehow, you know, then who knows what kind of weaponry they could load on the plane beforehand, you know, obviously all this work would have to be done on the ground before the plane even took off, I would think for sure. But you do have those two Iranian um, citizens that had, you know, fake passports, you know, I mean, that's, to me, it's a little bit of a red flag. There's not too much you can draw from that as far as, you know, conclusive evidence, but little bit of a red flag kind of like you're know, like huh oh, it's odd but it's one of the uh the theories i kind of like entertain just because you know what the hell was that plane heading heading towards you know and when i when i look at it there's nothing else in the middle of the Indian, the Indian ocean really you know that's the only like target that that could have been focused on
0: anywhere in the area you know yeah so, yeah
1: so yeah that's that's, a, that's the theory that i brought up here
0: yeah, that's one of the major ones. Um, I'll I'll pipe in with a real quick theory here. So one of, uh, I don't know if it's a major theory, but it's often mentioned is that the plane was somehow abducted by aliens. Drum roll, <laughs> please. Right. And uh, this is a pretty short one because it's going to go ahead and say, nope. <laughs> yeah, it's, it wasn't aliens, guys. All right. All right. Do you, did you have anything, uh, Agent Orange, that you wanted to talk about? No.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh so you're basically just a spectator on this episode
2: yeah i'm gonna i'm just gonna i'm just gonna pitch in every once in a while uh it's like i i don't have any conspiracy theories that i really researched on this one i i just i think it's mass murder and that's really all i have to say about that
0: so you're going you're going with the pilot did it. You think that he no, committed the suicide? Oh, pilot probably it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah.
1: What do you think the angle was on that? Do you think he uh was having a a, t- t- a tough time in his marriage or do you think like uh maybe he had some financial debts that It
2: it's hard you know, to know. It could be any of those things. It could be just dissatisfied with his job and and was just over it. Maybe the maybe the flight attendant made him angry. You know, who knows? Who knows? It, it's really hard to get in the mind of someone like that that would be willing to do that. But mm-hmm. it just everything leads me to believe that that's that's what happened, unfortunately.
1: Well, it's not totally improbable. It's happened before in aviation history. It's definitely
2: right? happened before. Yeah. It's happened. It's happened at least three times within the last decade. So it's yeah, you know, it's not unheard of, and it just seems more likely. Just with the way the plane, the change trajectory, how yeah. You know, th- there was there was people saying, and I don't I don't necessarily know if this is true or not, how he flew over his hometown kind of was like a one last goodbye as uh-huh. you know, when he changed trajectory. Well he's supposed to like kinda
1: of dip towards it a little bit, right? And then Yeah, like on. where you
2: could see it out of the cockpit window, so yeah. they say. I mean, I don't know. Um So
1: long farewell A saying goodbye.
2: It, that just seems like the most likely thing to have happened.
3: Um, well and that- that definitely makes sense to me too, in a way. But then I look at some of the information that's kind of uh, that's within that uh, MH370 safety investigation report that they released. Um, they actually did some observations of both, you know, the captain and the co-pilot, and they they looked at you know uh, any known history with like apathy, anxiety, or ir- irritability, and they didn't see that with uh, Zahari. He actually had a really good ability to handle stress at work and from home, and uh, and or deal with stress at home. Uh, they looked at um, the same with uh, Farik. Uh, he actually, uh, he was uh, dealing with a rapid kind of uh, uh, kind of period, uh, or sorry, he was dealing with a kind of uh, rapid increase in uh, f- fleet promotion. Because I guess it was in like three years, uh, you know, or sorry, he, it took him only three years to become a professional pilot there. And then um, yeah yeah and then well, a s-
1: and just just to make just to make uh, clear who we're talking about uh, there 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 are two pilots just for the listeners um, the the head pilot was a 53 year old gentleman he was a captain Zahir Ahmed uh, Shah right and then the co-pilot was a 27 year old individual he uh, he was a first officer farik Abdul Hamid
2: and I believe that was his first flight as well
1: yeah well and that sitting that, in the, the co-pilot the, seat. The cap- the captain had he had he had worked for uh, Malaysian Airlines since 1981, I think, or something like that, because he, he had uh, joined uh, that airline um, as a cadet and then and, and trained with them and, and you know earned earned his commercial pilot's license uh, through that. And he that was airline. well respected. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you've been working that damn long for the same airlines and gained an era of respect amongst your peers. I mean, you got to have a a certain level of consistency. I mean, I've heard certain recordings like uh, of uh, planes that were going down in legitimate situations. And, you know, the pilots knew that they're, you know, there's probably, you know, 0.001 percent that they get out of this alive. Obviously, you're at the front of the the vehicle, (laughs) you know, and and you're also heading towards whatever you're heading towards. You know, how calm some of these pilots are when when you hear these recordings seconds before they know that, that they're about to crash, you know. Uh, Some of these people really do have high level training and high level, you know, situational awareness and a calmness to them as well. Because, I mean, to wield one of these giant pieces of machinery, in my opinion, I I mean, you either got to be real dumb and not know the risks involved or you have to be pretty intelligent and also fully understand the risks involved and and take them into account, you know, and accept them as well. uh, Yeah, obviously you have to accept them, you know, but.
2: I would go with the latter, but, and they are, they are, they're giving psych evals constantly, um, mm-hmm. every few months or so, and physicals and all that to make sure that they're still competent enough to fly a plane. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they always say, like, even with like office shooters and stuff that end up going on rampages or taking out people, they always say, like, you know, he's the last person I would expect to do that. So, it, yeah, just yeah, because. Enough. You know, just because he's logical and he can think straight, and he's been a pilot there for, you know, 30 some odd years. That doesn't yeah. mean that he's not capable of snapping.
1: That's true enough. Yeah. I agree with that. So everybody has their, their point of break that they could they could uh, reach, you know what I mean? And also that that might also support some of the kind of erratic behavior, you know, involved in this case. Because if you do have somebody who's just snapped or broke mentally, then their behavior isn't necessarily going to be rational, you know what I mean? It's not going to make sense to the average individual, most likely, or it w- either it will or it won't. I don't know, but uh, that that could be a, a distinct possibility. I think.
3: Well, yeah, and I mean, I, yeah, well, I just, but it's just strange though, still to consider, like, okay, so you know, they look at you know both these guys, they they seem pretty sturdy and you know mentally to deal with that type of work pressure. Uh they look at well, their the captain they, was. Well yeah, and then they look at the well that same was with with Fareek as well. I mean, they didn't see any noticeable behavioral uh issues that was going on for him, at least at what I read in the uh investigation report that they released. I um, think it's less likely to be the co-pilot than it is the pilot. Yeah. And then uh like they look He's a he's a millennial though, isn't he? Right, 27 <laughs> that years that old that is True, you <laughs> never know.
1: <laughs> right? I don't know, Goddamn millennials.
3: Yeah. <laughs> And then they, uh, <laughs> I didn't say it. <laughs> there was no suspicious activity regarding their financial records as well. And then they actually went back and looked at looked at CCTV uh, TV recordings at uh, the uh, at Kuala Lumpur Airport to just kind of see their uh, to look at both pilots' uh, their behavior over mm-hmm. time to see if there was anything when different. They that, and- yeah, they were just trying to see if they were doing anything differently over you know prior to that actual flight. And they said they didn't notice anything, you know. You know, significant that word you know, warrant any concern in their investigation. So, but uh, again, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't mean that no one can snap. Of course, I'm just wondering. Like, what's the? I mean, I guess the biggest mystery to me is why did it take such a path? Like, if a person was intent on killing themselves and the rest of the people on their plane, why did they? You know, take off once they reached the South China Sea, do a U-turn, go to. Uh, uh, Penang, which was, you know, Z- Zahari's uh, hometown, then head out to the uh, Andaman Sea. And then from there, we, you know, it's kind of up in the air as far as what occurred. It just kind of started flying around for a while before, okay, boom, it crashed I, or, you know, the it's
1: before it got shot I, down I, by the U.S. military because yeah. the two Iranian passengers that had fake passports really are the ones that hijacked it. And before, you know, they took off, they put, you know, some kind of electronic device to fool the navigation system to make, you know, a, a fake fight, uh, flight plan, you know what I mean, or something.
2: Yeah, there's that. Or, you know, <laughs> the pilot took off, maintained his course until he could depressurize the cabin, make sure everybody was out, and then turn. Or
1: they actually flew north.
3: Yeah. Or they flew north. Well, that's to <laughs> Mars. But, it's a Mars? Yeah. But there was obviously something deliberate going on because, yeah, the transponder was, you know, turned off. You turn the transponder yeah, so there off. was something, yeah. There was a plan, but that's the thing, you know, just to think, okay, so how would, you know, assuming one of them did it, they, that means they would have to deal with the other person unless they were in on it, which doesn't seem plausible. Then then yeah. the next thing to do, of course, is, you know, take it to such an elevation where they can de- depressurize the cabin and then just, you know, deprive everybody of oxygen until they die. And then now they have full control, you know what I mean? Assuming they have an oxygen tank available, which I'm, they I'm sure they do. Yeah. Yeah, the pilots
2: have separate ones, Then it's a completely separate system than the passengers as well.
3: So. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a very uh, mal- malicious kind of uh, approach to, you know, killing yourself if you're going to snap all of a sudden. And you're like, oh, I'm going to take, uh, you know, over 200 people with me. You know, I'm doing it. Man, I just, crazy do what crazy do. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I, I can't, you know, assume to know someone's state of mind, especially when they something like that happens. But yeah.
2: I mean, how long do you have to fly before you start resenting your passengers and your flight crew and all that kind of stuff? So I.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, these these little urchins knocking on my door asking for those plastic wings all day. I can't take yeah. it anymore. <laughs> can't do it. <laughs> all these
2: tiny little booze bottles. You know what? What am I supposed to do with that?
0: So I was just going to say one, one little interesting piece. That a lot of people talk about is if it had crashed into the ocean, when a plane crashes, even on the surface of the water, which has a surface tension, it's like crashing on concrete almost, it would have broken up into thousands of little pieces. And those pieces, some of them would have floated around and they would have washed ashore, they would have gone places, they would have been found. They searched so much of this area, they would have found something floating around, but they didn't find any of these pieces. So th- this kind of leads into, I think what Agent Locke's going to talk about, or the plane would have had to crash basically vertically, like nose directly down, which almost, ne- I mean, that's, that doesn't really happen. It- I got one theory that's, um, that's, this is one of the ones that I was most excited about because it seemed like slightly plausible and, uh, kind of interesting is that there were four passengers on the airplane that worked for a company called Freescale Semiconductor. And these four people were partial patent holders of patent number 8671381. And the fifth patent holder was Freescale Semiconductor itself. Now, the theory goes that this patent is worth a couple billion dollars and the company had these people murdered, or in other words, they they crashed the plane or hired somebody to crash the plane in whatever way you want to, you know, however they did it to murder these four people so then the patent would pass on to the company. So they murdered them for a couple billion dollars, which is a really good theory. And it's actually kind of plausible because people have been murdered for far, far less than a couple billion dollars, right? So it kind of makes sense. And there, there are people out there who would bring down a plane for a couple billion dollars. Let's not kid ourselves. But when I started looking into it, I've heard of it, but I never really looked into it that much. Um, it turns out that, yes, this patent does list four people and Freescale Semiconductor as the patent holders, but the way these things usually work is that the company that hires the employees, they put the employees' names on the patent, but Freescale actually owns that patent. And I found a post on Reddit from a patent lawyer who was saying that because the patent has says this, I think like the original patent holder or whatever, there's a certain language used that indicates that Freescale owned the patent outright before the crash. So that in and of itself pretty much diffuses this theory. But if you want to diffuse it even more, you could say that those people may not have even been on the plane because the names don't match exactly. But that could just be because they're Chinese names and when they translate them to English, they don't match up exactly. Who knows for sure? You could probably bother their families to find out, I suppose. But also the patent itself was not really it's not a patent that was worth probably billions of dollars. It was it was a much smaller patent about something about fitting chips onto a board or something like that, something that wouldn't really break up the industry to the degree to where it'd be worth that much. Um, So the more you look at it, the more it doesn't really hold up. But I really like this one because the the rest of the theory I didn't mention yet was that BlackRock and the Rothschilds were in, involved. And we I think we've talked about BlackRock before on this show mm-hmm. and yeah, probably the Rothschilds too. Sure. But when you say those, that kind of perks my ear ears up when you're like, oh, well, who owns Freescale Semiconductor? None other than BlackRock and, uh, you know. Oh, man. It makes my asshole twitch.
2: Yeah, every good conspiracy have the Rothschilds involved, so. <laughs> oh, 100%.
0: Hey, hey,
1: Agent Orange, don't you try to be a fucking... Rothschild freaking agent and discredit what we're doing?
0: Yeah. What do yeah, you, you do tra- that agent.
1: What are you trying to do? Are you trying to set up people's <laughs> freaking subconscious? No, I'm serious. Every minute. good I conspiracy thought, wait, theory I I involves you.
2: the Rothschilds. They're everywhere. They're, oh. they're pretty much the <laughs> Illuminati. So I'm I'm agreeing oh. with
0: you, for Christ's sake.
1: Oh, you're, oh, you're backtracking now. <laughs> you're backtracking is what you're saying. I'm now. one of
0: them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you got to hook me up with some of those sweet-ass Rothschilds gigs, dude. Yeah, I know.
2: I'm the... I'm the
0: poor black sheep one. I will sell out right now if you want to drip me down some of that sweet Rothschild's money, dude. They can have this show. I don't even care.
2: (laughs) I would turn you all in for cash. I just want you to know that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that, Agent Orange. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, to finish this one off, it turns out that BlackRock is only one of many institutional investors and they don't actually own the entire part of the company, just a chunk of it. A pretty large chunk, but not even in the entire company. So... Pretty much the more you look at it, it completely falls apart. Unfortunately, I really like this one, but it just doesn't hold up. Um, All right. So does anybody else have uh, any theories they'd want to discuss on this one? Wasn't there a cell phone somewhere in this narrative that you're talking about? Yeah.
1: I like the the sound of that. (laughs) I know where you headed with well, that. Now
0: I want to I hear. I want to hear about the cell phone part of the theory. That's what I'm interested Agent in.
1: Agent Locke, are there any <laughs> orifices within somebody's body?
0: They might <laughs> no, be able
1: to was... hold a small cell phone. Perhaps some individuals might be able to hold, hold the largest of cell phones.
3: No, there was a theory out there that someone actually sent out a message of, and it had like metadata that showed their coordinates near um, Diego Garcia, and they said that they're being, you know. The uh, they were all being uh, whatever, you know, taken, you know. I heard about that. Pre- I, I forget most of it, but it was just kind of like, yeah, he shoved it, you know, up his rectum to uh, conceal hear. it from I the hear military that. officials. But which,
2: I, hear, I heard oh, something similar about, like, <laughs> coordinates being sent out, to, like, to that specific location,
3: but. Yeah, but when you take the, I mean, it was an iPhone, it was uh, supposedly sent from an iPhone and, Given the, yeah, I mean, we're we're all familiar with iPhones. I forget the free, uh, specific model that they, you know, mentioned that it was, but that's uh, a it's a good two inches, two to th- what, two to three inches in in width. So to abruptly shove it up one's rectum would be uh, that would prove difficult. I mean, especially in a you know,
2: look, I've <laughs> I've seen X-rays of people keistering like bowling pins,
0: so. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm willing to bet that if you go on Pornhub or whatever right now and Google iPhone oh, and the you bum, will definitely you will get a, get a result.
2: Hey, what? Have you guys never As heard a of Mr. Fact, Hands? It's called iPhoning and I'm very uh-huh. much aware of it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> they have a high quality camera
1: on that phone. <laughs> yeah.
3: You guys are disgusting. <laughs> but I mean for but also too i mean i don't know how much credibility you can add to that because metadata for like image content can be it's easily to you know manipulate and mess with that so how, how you know and there's plenty of you know little apps you can download online that can allow you to you know take photos and then you can completely alter all the metadata to make it look like it came from you know somewhere that it did not so but that was a fun theory out there but that wasn't my main one but uh just, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff surrounding this, so who knows? I mean, it, it, it probably is plausible that uh, murder suicide, but just why would you take that long? To kill yourself and to kill all those people because maybe so you don't, don't know exactly yeah, what to do. If the other agents don't mind.
1: I want all, to, you, all you know is you want to kill yourself,
3: right? I like to touch on something that Agent Anderson. Shut
1: up, Agent Orange!
2: <laughs> no, I will not. <laughs> I like to touch on something that Agent <laughs> I'm Anderson sorry, said did I say that earlier um, about how if you crash into like into the ocean, uh, it'll leave all the debris. There'd be much more debris to be found. Um, that's assuming that you went into like a death dive, which. You know, like if you run out of fuel, you, the the plane is going to start listing. But you could, any pilot could pull themselves out of that. You could glide easily another 37 miles without fuel and, and you know, crash into the ocean without, you know, like destroying the entire plane. I, I guarantee out there there's large sections of that plane still intact. Uh, I think that the pilot, and I I think, I'm pretty sure that the ATSB, the Australian um, Transport Safety Bureau, they all agree that, the pilot was in full control of the plane up until it crashed, I think, and not to mention that the debris found showed that the the uh, the flaps were were down as if like as if it was landing, um, and like a hundred percent, like I I can't remember, you know, but I think the the plane, I think the pilot landed the plane in the middle of the ocean. I don't think he wanted the plane found. I think, you know, I think this was he wanted this to be a giant mystery. And that's the way it is. But, you know, I don't know. What do I
0: know? I'm just a guy. There, There is some controversy about the wing debris that they found. The, the story goes on? that, yeah, the it story goes that, yeah, that the, that wing had been damaged and replaced previously. So the, the theory goes that the debris found was actually from the wing that had been removed, not the new one that had been replaced on there. And there is some science to back this up because the type of water that those were found in and that it would have had to travel through to get where it was going, it had a certain type of barnacle growth that would not have been possible in those temperatures and in the water where it was. So it does appear that those wing debris were actually farmed from somewhere else. Perhaps they were placed in water for a few months before they were placed on the beach and then quote unquote discovered. But I'm not a scientist, so I can't really evaluate barnacle growth and that kind of stuff. But there does appear to be some legitimate evidence that some of this debris was fake and was planted, and that's kind of interesting in and of itself.
3: Well, no, just let me intersect here real quick because uh, that was one of the elements I was also going to elaborate on. Because uh, me personally, just if I were to, you know, throw my thought, you know, just my opinion is. Uh, those, those debris pieces, even though they claim in their investigation that, you know, there was you know several that almost, like they confirmed are they part of that plane and many others were uh, almost certain to be a part of that plane. I think it was all planted. I think this plane did not crash. I think it was commandeered flow somewhere to some type of secret base. And then that plane is now being, you know, retrofitted to carry a nuclear bomb that will eventually, you know, pilot again over, you know, an American city to pave a kind of new chapter in the, you know, new world order.
0: Sort of like a false flag attack. And there is evidence to back it up because it does appear that that debris was planted. And again, if it crashed at going at any anywhere near a reasonable speed, even if they did crash it in so-called landing pattern or whatever, It would still be in a thousand little pieces. These things go almost the speed of sound. And if it hit the water going that fast.
1: If it crashed crashed in the middle of the Indian Ocean, though, I mean, the Indian Ocean is an extremely vast area. I mean, there's all sorts of hiding pockets and and stuff and places that any of the debris could have settled without the human eyes. Not to mention it's one of the
2: roughest. That area is one of the roughest seas it like in the ocean. It's very so, unpredictable.
1: I mean, it's, I mean, the current, the, the main currents are, 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 are you know, well-established, but the weather certainly isn't. I mean, it's a very unpredictable area, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, there were, and there were two cyclones during that time as well hmm. that happened um, around that time. So it, that could you know like I don't know how how long it took for them to find the uh the pieces of the plane I think it was wasn't it like a year afterward
0: yeah the first the first piece of the plane was found in uh 2015 let me look it up in my notes again it's uh gotta scroll up slightly uh yeah in July 29 2015 according to what I could find is when they found the first pieces of debris
2: now they could have washed on shore during the cyclone and that would that would signify like why there wasn't barnacles on the, on the piece itself. You know, if, if, if there was mm-hmm. a cyclone, it the, the winds were strong. The current was strong. There wouldn't be enough mm-hmm. time for the, for the barnacles to attach themselves to the wing. And that's why it was found. It would take a lot of work to bring in the old wing and just like place it on the beach somewhere.
0: Eh, not really. I mean, you put on a boat, you drop it off, done. That's not a lot of work guess, at all. It, I guess. That's, that's easy peasy. I mean, you could just fly it over in a cargo plane and just dump it out in the water somewhere. Like it it would take almost no work Mm -hmm. at all. There are many illusionists
3: (laughs) that work behind the scenes. Yeah. David Blaine, David Blaine's the,
0: my main, uh, (laughs) he's my main suspect (laughs) in this whole thing. (laughs) Well, he does use a lot of editing in his tricks, you know? All right. Well, that's, that's pretty much all we have on the theories. There's really no end. I mean, it just goes on and on. You could find as many theories as you want on this. There, there's some we haven't touched on such as, Um, Some sort of electronic hijacking or like somebody hacked the computer system remotely. Um, We touched on a terrorist attack a little bit, but didn't really elaborate. But that's one of the possible ones. Uh, One of the ones is that North Korea hijacked it for their own nefarious purposes. And um, I think they have done that in the past once or twice before. So it's plausible, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Um, There's a phantom cell phone theory. Um, We didn't really talk too much about the possible fire aboard the plane, but that's another one. Um, it could have possibly been shot down. There's uh, somebody, somebody, I think on the, on a news channel, I forget who said that it might've been sucked up by some kind of black hole. I'm not making that up. Um, and it just, you know, it just gets weirder and weirder the more you look into it. But when you get right down to it, um, there's a little bit of evidence, but we really don't know what happened, what caused this thing to crash and where it ended up. Although I think, um, personally, I think. If I had to pick a theory, the most plausible one would be that the the pilot was involved somehow because somebody did switch off that transponder uh, manually, and that's highly, highly suspicious. You don't switch those things off ever under any circumstance unless you absolutely have to, because that's a safety measure. Transponder, I don't think we said what it does. The transponder announces your position to other airplanes and other towers, so that's basically a beacon saying, here I am. And the reason for that, obviously, is so you don't crash into other airplanes. So you wouldn't switch that off ever unless you were planning to crash the airplane anyways, and you didn't want to be detected where you were going. But as Agent Locke mentioned, if you're going to crash the airplane, why would you switch that off? You would just crash the airplane. You wouldn't go through all this nonsense. You would just crash the dang thing. Uh, so that's. I think we mentioned also the hypoxia event briefly. That um, if they lost cabin pressure, they could have knocked everybody out and then the airplane would have just kept going until it ran out of fuel. That's another one I think we mm-hmm. mentioned. Um,
1: but Well, that was popular because then you wouldn't have a bunch of people there to stop what you're doing once they realize what you're doing.
2: Yeah, but yeah, again. But someone would still have been in control because the plane made several deviations before it, it yeah, eventually yeah. disappeared. So that yeah. Yeah, someone would have had to maintain control at some point.
0: Yeah, that's true. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, I think the most plausible one is probably the pilot was up to no good. What do you guys think is the most plausible theory on this one?
2: I mean, you know where I stand, but I think we'll never know, unfortunately.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Agent Orange always stands with mass murder.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's that's his bag. (laughs) All right.
2: Well... Now I'm on a list.
1: <laughs> He's also known as Agent Masanto also.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time for a show that we haven't really decided on yet. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. And we have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. If you enjoyed the show, you can really help us out by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts.